Hello, welcome to the Articulating with Andres podcast. My name is Andres Fajardo and I'm a freshman broadcasting major at Peterborough University. Today I'm here with Ethan Foster, the SGA chaplain, who is a sophomore Bible major on the MDiv track. And he spoke here in September about prayer, two days after Sam Alvarez spoke. So... What's your name? Yeah, so I'm Ethan Foster. I serve as the sophomore class chaplain for the class council slash student government association. And yeah, I've been able to, uh, I served last year as well. I preached last year and this year I'll get to preach twice. I preached, um, yeah, a couple months ago and uh, looking forward to preaching again this month. I saw a, a picture of you from one of the chapel quotes, and you looked a lot younger. I looked a lot by younger. The way. Okay. Yeah. So, um, he preached on prayer, and he preached specifically on on math. Luke eleven. Luke eleven. Yeah. So, what would you say a Christian should? What would you say prayer is according to the Bible? Yeah. So prayer is a unique gift to the Christian that we are able to communicate with our God. Um, We actually get to communicate to him as our father. So in many of the ways that we are able to talk to our earthly fathers, um, those of us that are blessed with them, Mm -hmm. we are able to talk with our heavenly father. Mm -hmm. Um, And I believe it's really a unique gift that the Christians in this world get to enjoy, and it's really not something that you see in other religions, having a real way to communicate with our God. I agree. One of the main differences that I've heard from Christianity to the other religions is that Christianity is more personal, whereas the other religions is more at a distance. Absolutely. I think that's one of the big differences that you can see, and it's really, honestly, one of the most appealing things is other people, other religions they have are really just trying to get something from God or to give something, but Christianity is a relationship where we've been invited to become sons and daughters of God and now become fathers. That's definitely true. So what would you say is the biggest takeaway from the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, so the Lord's Prayer, there's uh, multiple accounts of it. Um, specific guy I preached on the Luke's, Luke's account, which is just a little bit different than Matthew's account, which is the most uh, typically quoted but really, I think the, the main point of the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily something that you're just supposed to repeat exactly, because some people believe that, but I think um, we see in the context of the verse, Jesus says, hey, don't just repeat this thing. Don't just make your prayers repetitive like the Gentiles. You should pray in such a way that actually means something. And then he kind of lays out in the Lord's Prayer some things that you could be praying for. Um, and I'd say the main takeaway from that is that we're able to talk to God as our Father. I think mm-hmm. at the time, the Jews there, you know, they did not, they were not able to talk to God as their father. So when the disciples, they heard this for the first time, I'm sure they were absolutely amazed. They said, they heard Jesus say, you should talk to God as your father, and their jaws would have been on the floor. So that is a gift of Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to call God our father and to talk to him that way. Because the Pharisees were against everything they ta- everything he taught. So, according to that model, prayer isn't something very like legalistic or 
it's not that you bound your knees, walk like ten times back and forth like the Catholics do. Yeah, there's uh, that's what's really cool is that well, Jesus himself laid out ways to pray, um, and he didn't necessarily say, hey, when you do it, you got to be, you know, kneeling. You don't have to be sitting. You don't have to be standing. There's no specific posture, although there are postures that I believe can help. I enjoy praying on my knees, but that's just because it helps me pray easier. It, let, it makes me less distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, prayer is something that you're able to do um, in a separate time, like in the mornings, take some time to pray. But prayer is also something that you're able to do while you're walking to class or even right before a test. It's totally legit to just say, Lord, help me on this test. Lord, let me get an A. <laughs> there you go. It's a good prayer, man. You know, like, sometimes you can... Some people pray that and maybe didn't study, and they'll they'll reap what they have sown in that situation. They got what they deserved. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, but yeah, I, I believe that there is nothing too big or too small to ask the Lord for. I agree. Time. So, there is a passage in the Bible that says, when you pray, you should close your door, and you should not let anyone, like, look at you. Mm. How do you interpret that passage? Yeah, um... I, it'd be cool to actually pull up the, let me pull up that passage real quick, if you don't mind. That's okay. So, but when you pray, enter your closet, and then shut your door. Pray to that Father in secret, and uh, pray in secret so that you will receive the reward for your faith. For me, that kind of means that pray in a way that people aren't looking at you. Yeah. Pray in a way that people are like, oh, he's a Christian. Oh, he's this. Pray with humility. Yeah, um, I, it really goes down to what's your motive in prayer. Some people do pray in such a way, you know, they at the time maybe they would go on the street corner and pray to God and just make sure everyone look at me, look at me, how I'm talking to God. But really, like what we see Jesus say is, hey, it's not for to show off. It's to enjoy for yourself. So that's why he says, hey, when you go, go into your inner closet. Be secluded in prayer. The point isn't to hide or to show off to everybody. The point is to talk with and when he said in your closet, he didn't mean like a physically in your closet. Mm-hmm. He meant like go alone, be isolated. Yeah. Like even Jesus, when he was about to go to the cross, he went by himself, isolated himself from the world, and prayed. Yeah, there are many accounts in the scriptures where Jesus himself prayed. And I really think that could be one of our biggest motivations to pray is because if Jesus, the Son of God who was perfect, prayed, I think we should too. Because mm-hmm. I think we go through a lot of things where we'll, we're thinking about it on our own. But Jesus in those circumstances, he chose to pray. And if Jesus needed to pray, then we also ought to pray. So follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Another thing is that the Catholics, they believe that you should repeat a prayer several times. Yeah, different times different you should repeat 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 they also believe in idols but how would you compare 
that to the relationship that we have with our God in heaven? Yeah, I, I mean, it's in the question, as you said. Um, it's about our relationship. We're able to talk to God as a father, and uh, that means we're actually able to communicate with him. And I think one big thing is to ask the Lord for specific things. Um, a lot of, you know, Catholicism or even other religions may not allow for you to ask the Lord for a very specific thing. But in Christianity, we're opened up to ask for things of our desires. We're, mm. we're able to see what we want, align that with the scriptures, and say, Lord, like, I believe this is a good thing that would be pleasing to you. May I have it? And mm. then you trust the Lord for whatever he gives. One of the things that I was talking with Dr. Bennett, who's my Bible the Gospel prof, he's a prof in the Bible department, was that God God calls you, but the primary calling is more important than the secondary. Mm -hmm. The secondary is whatever you do in life. You choose your career, but you use it for God's glory. That's the secondary calling. And I feel like sometimes we just do what we want, or we just don't trust God, like how Jonah lived. Yeah, definitely trusting the Lord is a, a big part of the Christian life, and something you're going to have to grow into and just continue to, to take a step of faith that he has commanded and see how he provides. One of, but one of the things that I've heard from pastors, theologians, is that the relationship with God is a vertical relationship. Yeah. If you've heard that, yeah. explain. It's not a horizontal relationship where it's just like one di one dimensional, like you would have it with like your professor or your roommate occasionally. Yeah. So, how would you show a Christian to do that in their personal life? Yeah, I mean, as you said, like there's the vertical relationship with God and our relationship with others, kind of the horizontal. Um, and I think definitely understanding that we submit under the Lord. Um, so when he says no to our prayers, we trust him. Um, Pim Keller is famous for saying, whenever we pray, God will either give us what we ask for or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, understanding our submission to the Lord as a son of his is a big part of how we should think of. For me, I've seen that in my own life. Yeah. I've heard something from David Jeremiah in one of his sermons that says, God does everything on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm at Cedarville for a purpose, Absolutely. I'm in my major for a purpose, and I'll use it for God's glory. But, Yesterday, one of my dear friends that's related, not related, but knows my family passed away. And that was kind of like, ooh, why did you do it? I came for a purpose, and that's a specific time for a purpose. That is difficult. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. But sometimes we, in times like that, we might feel like Job, where it's like, beep, 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 beep. Why this God just cussing God out? Yeah, that's what some people would say to do, but you know, Job persevered and you know trusted in the Lord. Although his friends were just um, 
of those friends were just not wise people. They were arrogant. They were stupid in some way. Yeah. They were like, God made you do this for a purpose. God doesn't like you. God this. So for a Christian, what would you suggest them to do in tough times? Like what Job suffered through? Yeah, um, there's many times of hard suffering that a lot of people go to. Um, I think of the verse in James first. Um, I think it's a very important one to go to um, when you're in true suffering. Uh, James 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let the endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, I mean, the first part is, even in a hard trial, you should uh, you should go about the mourning correctly. There are certainly times to, to be sad. Like, that is okay. Um, there are hard times that we go through, and sometimes you just need to deal with that, sit in a little bit of that pain for a while. Um, but really, at the end of the day, you should be turning that morning into joy, um, which is a difficult thing to say, but I mean, it's true, first of all, that is the, the command here we have in scripture. Um, and I believe like joy can take different forms. It doesn't mean you're, you know, jumping around, bouncing off the walls all the time, but joy can be an inner joy, knowing that God is completing his purpose and that every step, even the painful ones, those are gonna be ultimately for good and for us to be more conformed to the image of Christ. There's a passage in scripture that a lot of Christians like that a lot of Christians like to use and that's known in Christianity its purpose is known and that's Romans eight twenty eight. Absolutely. The passage I heard Tim I heard Dr. David Jeremiah explain it this way. That passage doesn't mean that everything will go well, quote-unquote. Everything bad will work for your earthly but eternal life. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really, in that passage, you've got to look at, um, you know, whose definition of good are you going to believe in by? So, and also I think it's often taken out of context in all of Paul's argument. Um, verse 28, eight, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. So first of all, we're talking about Christians here. To those called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the first, firstborn among many brethren. So that, that phrase there, being conformed to the image of his son, I believe that that is really the good of us. That the only the best good for the Christian is to become more like Christ. Mm. And what's the, the main image of Christ? On the cross. Mm. Christ suffered greatly. And as we become conformed to the image of Christ, we will suffer. But we know that that will ultimately lead to our joy. So we must understand the definition of good and that God does work all things for good so that we can be more like his son Jesus. And ultimately through that we will glorify God and that process of becoming more and more like Jesus is sanctification. Yep. It's becoming more and more like Christ. Absolutely. Or what my youth pastor back home calls holification. Becoming more holy. Yeah. 
if you get to play on real words. There you go. There you go. But thank you for being on this podcast. It was, it. I hope it's very insightful for our viewers, and I'll see you on the next episode. All right. Thank, thank you. you.